please join me in the litany of invitation and confession. We gather to experience the presence of God. We listen for God to speak through the scriptures, in our prayers, in the silence, through the proclamation, and in conversation with one another. With longing hearts, we are present with God. With joyful songs and earnest prayers, we seek God. Let us celebrate as if we were at the wedding. Sisters and brothers, let us live out our calling as a faithful congregation, and let us be honest in the confession of our sins. We confess our misplaced loyalties and ambitions. We confess that we have enslaved in our temptations. We confess that we feel far away from God. We ask God to forgive us. We pause for a moment of silent confession. When we repent, we find God abundant in forgiveness and full of grace. Let us live by the faith that makes us whole. We are forgiven. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church on this brisk Sunday. Not everybody can make it today, but you've made it here, and I've made it here, and God has made it here. And in the presence of God, we worship. So welcome. Welcome especially to those guests who are among us. We are glad that you're here. I see uh, Lanny and Karen Peters. Welcome. Uh, Lanny has been doing a triptych of uh, Flannery O'Connor studies in one of our church school classes, and he is my colleague, and I love him, and I'm glad that you're here today. Other guests are here as well. There is on the order of the edge of the order of service a welcome card. If you'd take a moment to complete that uh, with your name, it'll help me connect name and face with you. And for any of uh, you here who have a prayer concern, feel free to place that on the, uh, the note as well. Drop it in the offering plate. And it's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need uh, every week. The focus of the sermon is going to be on John chapter 2, the wedding in Cana of Galilee. We just sang a song about that. And uh, the text is large and big. And uh, so I've called on someone to help me do that, and it's going to be Garrett Ray. Garrett Ray is not only our acolyte emeritus, but he is our artist in residence uh, now. And uh, from an idea of Brian Knight years ago, I've invited, this is the second time, where while I preach, Garrett is going to draw pictures of the story. 
and uh, he's a caricaturist, so, you know, there may be a little more pizzazz than uh, John intended, but that's okay. We can handle that. Now, we're going to be moving when it's time for the sermon. It will move right here, this easel, and this is where he will be doing his work. So, uh, I want you to be able to see it well, and during the singing of the hymns would be a good time for you to move closer so you'll be able to do so. The choir is even going to come down so that they can see, and they'll be sitting right here, and I think Liz and David and Andrew will have joined the choir because of the seating, but I want everyone to be able to see. Uh, This is a weekend where we remember another son of the South Baptist preacher named Martin Luther King, Jr., and when he taught us that we are all woven together in a single garment of destiny. Today we name that garment, we hear these texts, and we name our connection with God. Welcome to the worship of God. A poem of praise for God's steadfast love and gift of joy. A reading from the Psalms. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your judgments are like the great deep. You save humans and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your salvation to the upright of heart. Do not let the foot of the arrogant tread on me, or the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie prostrate. They are thrust down and unable to rise. Here ends the first lesson. And now let's say our prayers together. God of wedding parties and new wine, just as Jesus filled empty jars with new wine at the wedding feast at Cana, we enter this time of worship as empty vessels, waiting to be filled with your extravagant love and grace. But God, we know that as much as we long to taste the sweetness of your wine, the worries of life often overwhelm us and the wine becomes sour. We worry about terror in the world. We worry about the future of our country. We worry about our health. We worry about our jobs. We worry about our children and grandchildren. Yes, God, our worries leave us dry and empty. But when our lives run dry, O God, remind us that we can rest in the hope that you will replenish us. So replenish us with an overwhelming sense of your presence. Replenish us with the gentle touch of your spirit. Replenish us with new energy. Replenish us with trust and faith. And replenish us with hope and optimism. So God, in this hour, pour for us once again the new wine of your presence and change the stagnant water of our lives into a deep faith 
that flows into generous words and deeds. May our lives be full to overflowing with love and compassion and a hunger for justice. And most of all, may your wine refresh our spirits so that we may find more joy in living and more opportunities to celebrate each day. Now hear us, O God, as we all join our voices together to pray the prayer you taught your disciples long ago to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Holy Spirit gifts the church by gifting the members of the church. A reading from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, Let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the discernment of spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. Here ends the second lesson. Children, I invite you to come forward at this time for our lesson. Come. And today we are going to sit on the steps. everybody. Everybody have a seat? (laughs) Okay. So today in church, we are going to hear the scripture read, and Pastor James is going to talk about this, and Mr. Garrett Ray is going to draw about this. So what we're talking about today is one of Jesus's first signs or his miracles that he performed. And he did this, this one that he did. See, We just talked about him at Christmas, right? He was just a baby. 
But now he's so big, and he's gotten bigger. And one day, he was with his mom and his disciples, and they went to a wedding. Can you raise your hand if you've ever been to a wedding before? Yeah. And people... Went there, your mom and dad went there before? Yeah, probably a lot of your mom and dads have gone to a wedding. And at this wedding, you know what? They ran out of wine. And that's what they were serving to drink to all the adults. And they ran out of the wine. And you know what? Mary's mom went and she said, she said, Jesus, we have run out of wine. But he said, why are you telling me? She said, please, just we've run out of wine. And so Jesus They were holding, the servants were holding some jars of water, because that's where they kept the water. They kept it in jars. They didn't have the glass, because this is a long time ago. So they had it in these jars, and he went and he got the water, and he said, serve this to everybody. And do you know what he did with that water? He changed it into wine. It was kind of like this. And he changes that water right into wine. What would you think if you witnessed Jesus do that? Would you think it was magic? Yeah, but it was not magic. That was the glory and the power of God. And everyone that saw Jesus do that, they believed, especially his disciples who were there with him. So today we remember a story of the glory of God and Jesus Christ. Pretty cool, huh? Let's have a prayer. Bow our heads. Dear God, thank you for your amazing gifts that you brought with you when you were born into this world. We are so thankful for your glory and your power that you show us each day. Help us to open our ears and open our eyes and open our hearts to all that you can do in this world every day. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, guys, let's go with Miss Mary Lou.
The abundance and presence of God is told in a story about Jesus at a wedding party. A reading from the Gospel according to John. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And then he said to him, to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed him. The Gospel of the Lord. All right, hopefully everyone has gotten a seat that is uh, the one you want so that you can see what's going on. And we're going to go ahead and start with the two of the characters in the story. By the way, can everyone hear okay? Is it, is it too hot, too loud, just right? <laughs> Feels like Goldilocks and the Three Bears here. <laughs> it's too loud, too hot. Uh, so, uh, let's see, here we go. Uh, is there an echo? Maybe turn it down just a little bit, please, Brian. All right. Um, let's see, where was I? Oh, yes. Uh, two of the main characters in the story are Jesus and his mama. Jesus' mama comes to Jesus and says, they've run out of wine at this wedding. And he says, woman, What's that got to do with you or me? My hour has not yet come. Interesting way for firstborn sons to talk to their mothers. I don't think I could have gotten away with that. And she then turns to the servants and says, do whatever he says. It's an interesting way to begin. And that's what uh, 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 Garrett is going to be drawing here. Um, as, as I walk into this text... I see that it's about something that we can all relate to, which is a wedding. As a matter of fact, we've got two weddings coming up. Caitlin's getting married, Will's getting married, Allison's getting married, and uh, the weddings are upcoming. I remember a book that I read by Frederick Beekner years ago, and I remember reading the chapter on this wedding at Cana. And he had a line in the in the story that I've never forgotten and that I've used, I think, at every wedding since. He said that it's easy to overlook 
the greatest miracle of this story. And the greatest miracle is not the change of water to wine. The greatest miracle was that at a common, ordinary, garden-variety wedding, the Holy One showed up and has been doing so ever since. I say that at every wedding because it reminds of how God is present in the ordinary and in the garden variety. Now, every preacher worth her or his salt has plenty of wedding stories, right? Lanny, I bet you do. I know that I do. I think the most exciting wedding story was when a bride set her veil on fire. Um, That was a bit of a distraction. Uh, It was in the day, this was back in the 70s, in the day we had the unity candles, you know, and you would light the unity candle, and then you would blow out the individual candles as if it went out, your life went out. And she held it a little too closely to her veil, and it set the veil on fire. She should have already had the veil moved. Alas, it was not. And it set the veil on fire. I heard all this commotion going on behind me, not knowing what it was, but then she and her husband-to-be came out, standing in front of me, and I look, and there's this hole in her veil about that big. All I could think of was the map of the Ponderosa, you know, at, at the beginning of Bonanza. And about the time it got to Carson City, she got it blowed out. That's one story. Right here, as one bride left, it was a long veil, and it turned out that the, that the pastor was standing on the veil. That would be I. And she got about here, and it caught up with her, and it threw her head back, and all of this is on video. And I don't think it's accidental that that young woman went into orthopedic surgery. I mean, that's, that's what she does as an orthopedic surgery nurse, you know. So there are plenty of these wedding stories. One commentator, the first of the common, of the, on the commentary, said, weddings are accidents waiting to happen. Sorry about that, you all. Uh, but often that's what makes it on YouTube, isn't it? When the groom just falls out right there. Or in the dancing, one falls and another and another. It's like a domino effect. Um, those are some of the stories. Well, this, this is the accident that happened in this wedding was they ran out of wine. And in that day, maybe in our day, that was an important act of hospitality, and suddenly they run out. Mary comes to Jesus, and by the way, Mary is never identified by name in the Gospel of John. She's always the mother of Jesus. Interesting. Also, John begins, and this is how you have to read John like a Rubik's Cube. If it were a painting, it would be a Picasso. All the dimensionality is wrapped out linearly, but it's not linear. Um, Ask me about that later. Uh, (laughs) Or ask Steve, better yet, ask Steve Sheely. He'll explain it. The first words are, now on the third day, Ah, on the third day. It's a resurrection story. It's something about this thing that we're about to read about that is saying something about the revelation of God. So on the third day, the last word will be, and this is a sign, the first sign. I'll get to that later. But on the third day, 
And then uh, Mary says, they run out of wine, kind of implying, can't you do something? And he says, my hour has not yet come. Odd kind of thing to say. And yet, it's one of the rhythms and refrains throughout John. Something happens, and he says, but my hour hasn't come. My hour hasn't come. And then, right in the middle, it says, my hour has come. It's two Greek-speaking people, that men, who come to Jesus, wanting to see Jesus, and that is the, that is the moment of crescendo in the Gospel of John. My hour has come. So all of these are cryptic messages that John is saying, it's a wedding, but it's bigger than a wedding. Got that? It's bigger than a wedding. Now, in our Wednesday study group, we talked about this, and in this part of the text, it sort of emerged in our conversation that it's pretty Jewish to ask strange things of God and to argue with God and to have a conversation with God that can be pretty intense. Like, isn't that what Moses did? Well, if you're going to kill them, you've got to kill me. Isn't that what Abraham did? Well, would you spare the city for this many, for this many, for this many? There's a fine Jewish background history of prayer being arguing with God. Read the Psalms. How long, O Lord, will the righteous suffer and the evil get rewarded? That's not right. That's not, that's not right, God. But that's prayer. And here is this tension between the mother of Jesus and Jesus. My hour has not yet come. She says, we'll do what he says. And it's like Jesus changes his mind. There are plenty of times in the Old Testament where it says, and God repented. And God changed God's mind and did something different. In the, in the Wednesday study group, the idea came up of, how seriously do we take prayer? Is prayer something that, well, whatever. But is prayer something that is emerging in us in conversation with God that may not be pretty, but may be really important? I know for me, when it comes to prayer, and I've noticed in the last several years that when I've met for you, like with counseling, or met with you, like in conversation, or met with a committee, that any time that I've done that and it's time to pray, I've often said, well, you know, all that we've already said is prayer. All that we've already said is prayer. And so let's name that God has been present. How do you pray? How do you think about prayer? Let's meditate on that for a moment.
The second movement in the story is about these stone water jars. You need any help with this? All right, I helped an artist. <laughs> it's about these stone water jars that Jesus says, fill to the brim. And there are six of them. Matter of fact, there's one representation of them on the front of your order of worship. You saw that. They come from right up there in the lancet furthest to my right and just to the left of these organ pipes. And up there are the six jars. Sometimes it's hard to count them, but they're six jars. They're stone jars, and they're, uh, they can hold 20 or 30 gallons. Now, uh, as I was thinking about this, and as we walk into the Gospel of John, I thought about a friend of ours who wrote a book about John called Irony and the Gospel of John. His name is Paul Duke. Several of us are friends of Paul Duke. Paul used to be a member here of our church, and he, he wrote his dissertation at uh, Southern Seminary on irony and the, gospel, uh, and the fourth gospel, and then turned it into a, a book. And I bring that idea up because it's, it's the notion, if, if you can't get irony, you miss a lot. And it's easy to miss a lot because not everybody gets irony. Irony is the basis of humor, right? And that's why humor is so selective. It's not one size fits all. And so John uses a lot of irony to bring out a truth that is deeper than just the first peeled uh, part of the onion. And so Jesus says six water jars uh, Lar, 20 to 30 gallons each, fill them to the brim, then dip from them and take it to the bartender, the wine steward. But in those few words, let's go back over them. They're not just any kind of water jars. What kind are they? They are used for the uh, ritual of purification for the Jews. Now, I'm always wanting to be respectful of Jewish persons among us, and if our Jewish friends were sitting around that Lanny and I and Ken and I and, and, and Don and I, we all, we meet with uh, once a month, the fourth gospel can be interpreted as the most derogatory to the Jews, because it's the latest of our canonical gospels to be written. It's written after the fall of Jerusalem, after the temple is destroyed, and as a cutoff was extending between the synagogue and the church. In the Gospel of John, there's a lot of whispering, a lot of the parenthetical, and they did this because of fear of the Jews. And they gathered in the upper room because of the Jews. And many of the Jews were listening. So you'll hear that, but it's contextual, okay? And so here are these jars used for ceremonial purposes. They're made of stone, which means they're kosher. If they had been pottery, they could have held uh, stuff that's not good. It's got to be kosher to be uh, cleanable. And it was used for a rite of purification. That's what Jesus said, fill it up to the brim. Now, wouldn't there have been other jugs or buckets around or the empty bottles of wine or whatever? But that's what he picked. Use that for keeping the party going. John is saying something here. 
He's saying something theological, that what God is up to is a refreshment, is a transformation. That which has become empty, as the way John and John's church saw it, has become replenished by God's grace. Now, this is where it gets dicey. If you're on the worship and music committee, put your fingers in your ears. Especially you, Erwin. <laughs> and Tim Getzey, wherever he is. Uh, it is like uh, we having a big dinner on the grounds, and we're having barbecue and baked beans and coleslaw, and we got all the folding tables set up out in the parking lot, and someone says, well, we need more, one more table. And somebody says, let's just use that table. Let's put the coleslaw on the communion Lord's Supper table. And someone says, well, we run out of Dixie cups for the Coca-Cola, for the kid. Well, that's fine. We've got some chalices. We've got these little shot glasses, too. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> uh, we can use all of that, we can, and we can, we can put the, the baked beans in the plates. Yeah, that'll work. That'll work. Will it work? Boy, the Worship and Music Committee would have a marathon. They'd meet for years about that. But that was the audacious representation and revelation of God that Jesus was up to. One commentator said that first century Judaism, maybe in this is my theory, because of its anxiety still from the exile, from the oppression of Roman government, from the military state that they lived in, that there were some who were revolutionaries, the zealots who kept an, uh, a dagger in their cloak and just in case they could kill a soldier if nobody's watching, all the way to the others who were sort of Jim Crow-like. Let's go along and get along, and yeah, we're oppressed, but let's, let's don't rock the boat. In, into that incendiary world, God sends a revealer of God's self. And that is, is what Jesus was up to here. Um, it is a whole new day breaking forth, a day of transformation. It's on this weekend that we remember, as I mentioned, this, this son of the South, a fellow Baptist preacher who spoke of us being in one garment of destiny. And so, whatever voice is rising up in us, we need to pay attention to that. And as we always struggle with church and state, as they struggled with religion and state, it's always good when the state has a moral voice. But we cannot always depend on the state to have a moral voice. Today is the day for church to be transformed like that water to wine. I thought that was pretty good that she did. I, I bet people are going to go to Andrea for hours after that. Um, into, in, in that world is a world that Jesus walked and life was transformed. How might God be transforming your life right now or transforming our church? Let's ponder that.
So the third and last movement is about the bartender, the wine steward, where Jesus has said, dip out from the uh, containers and take what you find to the wine steward. And they do. And the wine steward, the bartender, is just, I can't believe it. He's giddy. I mean, I guess he was the one feeling guilty that he hadn't gotten enough or the, the family hadn't bought enough. And so he gets giddy, giddy, comes to the bridegroom and says, how about you? Most people give the best wine first while the palates are fresh. I mean, not that I know anything about that, except what I learned at deacon parties. <laughs> uh, and and he, he says, you, most people serve the best wine first. You know, you start with a silver oak. And then you go down to the Blue Nun or something like that. I have to be careful about mentioning Blue Nun. That uh, has a story behind it. And so uh, he, 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 the wine steward, compliments the bridegroom. But the thing is, the wine steward doesn't know where the wine came from. Nor does the bridegroom know. Jesus is the one who knows, but Jesus is sort of in the background by this time. So, the, so the, the bartender is giddy. Oh, this is good. This is great, and celebrates. And the text ends by the word by two words I want to highlight. One is the word sign, and this was the first sign that Jesus uh, gave. Trivia question: How many miracles are there in the Gospel of John? The answer is zero. Now there are these wonderful events, but the writer says this was a sign, this was the third sign, this was another sign. So there are these signs. And a sign is something that points beyond itself, right? The sign doesn't point to itself. There's the stop sign, but you don't stare at the sign. You point, you look at what the sign is asking you to look for, watch for this intersection. I think it's Richard Rohr that says religion is like pointing uh, to the moon. And the moon is the mystery and the reality uh, of God. And you, we use our fingers to point to the moon. And so let's look at the moon and not stare at our fingers. You think about that. I know that in my interfaith work, that's one way I think about it, that all of our best thinking and organizing and doctrines and spirituality, all of that is packaged in our best understanding of how to relate to a mystery that informs us but is beyond us. And if we're fundamentalist, we're going to stare at and protect our fingers. But if we are who I think we are, we use our fingers to, oh, look at that. There's a blood big moon coming tonight. Look at that. So this is a sign that we don't stare at, but it is something that, uh, that points to uh, the abundance and exuberance of God. The second word is the word belief. Who believes in this, believes in Jesus? The disciples. They're the only ones. Doesn't say that the mother believes in him to be the revealer of God, at least not yet. 
doesn't say the wine steward did, doesn't say the servants did, but it said, and the disciples believed in him. How about that? The disciples were the ones that decided to put feet to their faith about this revealer. And that brings me to where I started with the, the Frederick Beekner story. That whatever the greatest miracle in the story is, is not water to wine. It's about that in a common, ordinary, garden variety wedding, God shows up. And that's the greatest thing about your life. At a common, ordinary, garden variety office cubicle tomorrow, a common, ordinary, garden variety job that you have tomorrow, at a friendship, in a friendship, and at a funeral, God shows up abundantly, joyfully, and that's the story. Amen. Well, you saw this story unfold, didn't you? All the way from Jesus not being sure but making a decision, all the way to those who were surprised of how much wine showed up, even in the sacred, special containers, and all the way to the bartender being surprised. And isn't it always a surprise at how God is present among us? And Jesus... Well, he's off to the side, sometimes unrecognized, but always present. We sing, sing a hymn of dedication that takes the gospel and our theology and moves it among us of justice and peace. Help us accept each other. Number 437. Let's stand together and sing.
You may be seated. Many of you know uh, Andrea Johnson, who has uh, become our uh, Director of Children's Ministries, and many of you know Aaron here as well, who as uh, our kid, who hangs out a lot. <laughs> and, and so now we have the rest of the family. This is Norm and Leah, and they come today uh, wanting to join Northside Drive Baptist Church. And uh, uh, Andrea and Norm uh, have been members of Presbyterian Church uh, out west of town. And uh, having grown up Presbyterian, uh, they've gone through all the uh, proper channels. So they're bona fide and ratified and certified and uh, acceptable to Northside Drive to become full members of Northside Drive. If you join with me in welcoming them, would you lift a hand? And with that hand comes our love and acceptance and welcome. You'll also see in your order of service, there is something for us to read as our commitment to them. Let's read together the reception of persons for membership. As members of Northside Drive Baptist Church, we welcome you as you join us in this adventure of faith and faithful community. We offer you our love, our history, and our hope. We value your story of faith and invite you to serve with us as stewards of God's grace. Andrea and Norm and Aaron and Leah, we are glad that you are here and here among us. If you could just have a seat there, I think Beth Laxton at the end of the service will introduce you to all these people. And so if you can just go back and have a seat there, that'll be good. All right, welcome. At this time, I'm going to call on Daniel Hedrick to uh, bring us some concerns of the church. Well, at this time of the service, we always bring our celebrations and concerns and announcements. And I meant to do this last week, but to formally welcome back Caitlin Cook Fur to us. You came back last week and you had a flat tire. I assume that got fixed and you're here. Hallelujah. And uh, you'll be hearing from Caitlin at some point, probably in February, just to preview this, a testimony about her time in Canada and in Kenya. She just returned from Kenya. And uh, I met Allison Rowland's brother, David, earlier, just returned from Uganda. Is that right, David? Be sure to say hello to him on the way back. So we have two people who have just returned uh, from Africa in our extended church community and in the life of this church. A couple of announcements here. Um, Oh, yes. The, the choir will be moving at this point. That was my first announcement. That was the first sign. <laughs> they'll be singing in a moment, so they'll be getting into place. So as to make it slightly less awkward, I'll narrate what they're doing as they do it. Church council will be on Tuesday night, not Monday night, because of the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. Tuesday night of this week, church council and then next week will be uh, the Super Bowl, the S-O-U-P-E-R Bowl. Most of you all are familiar with that. And if you have a soup or dessert that you'd like to make, could you see Mona Steins about that? Barbara, did I say that right? I got a nod from the balcony. Yeah, see Mona Steins about that. Bring a soup or a dessert. And the church and conference will meet after uh, the Super Bowl gathering. Um, that Super Bowl gathering every year is uh, to raise money for our hunger fund. 
And as the government is shut down, you may have read James's column this week, uh, that the doors of the churches open up, and that'll be our gift back to the community for food justice. Several prayers uh, and prayer concerns that many of you are aware of. You know about Kenneth Dean, who had uh, a stroke, who has uh, been transferred from Grady Hospital to his daughter Leslie's home on hospice care, and that happened yesterday. James and I will be visiting with Kenneth and Mary and the children, all who are there later this afternoon, wrapping our arms around them. As Mary had said earlier, she has felt so embraced by this church and her many friends in their prayers. Good news about Barney Moore, that he was discharged and is recovering at home, rehab scheduled to be set next week. And there are others on our hearts and minds that you know them, we've listed them, and some you carry with you. So we pray for these and for you uh, together in the body of Christ. Now, uh, it's hard sometimes to transition from, from grief to joy, but that, that is the life of the church. And the song you're about to hear is a, an offertory hymn of dancing. I don't know who's going to be dancing. Is that James? Steve Sheely, maybe? Some of you visiting may have wondered, what kind of Baptist church is this where we serve wine during the church and dance to the end? It's Northside Drive Baptist Church. Let's continue our worship.
All-loving God, we give thanks for the gift of this day. We give thanks that our choir has lifted our hearts, so much so that we patted our feet almost like people thought we were dancing. We give thanks that you come to our garden variety days and that you are with us, whether we are in an operating room or in a classroom of whether we work on computer software or in ACE hardware. We thank you that you express yourself not only through words, but through an artist's hands and fingers and imagination. So bless these tithes and offerings as we use them to serve you in the world. We pray with hope in Christ's name. Amen.
Yeah. As we prepare to go, we think of those among us in need. We think of Kenneth Dean's family as they go through this day. And this was his theme song, you know. He was a freedom fighter. Mississippi is Will Campbell's good friend and others. And I don't always check my text messages during worship. I probably never do. But I had a sense of what this was. About 15 minutes ago, Ken died. Just as we were getting ready to sing the national anthem of the Civil Rights Movement. There will be information about the funeral later this week. And so, as we prepare to go, remember this. May the strength of Christ uplift you, the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you, and the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage this day and every day as we prepare to go in peace. Amen.